Hey, beautiful listeners, you're tuned in again to Live, Love, and List 10 with me, Carla. This is part two of The 10 Women Who Fool the World, where we list down female con artists who turned on their charm to scam. In part one, we talked about these five, Elizabeth Holmes, Anna Sorokin, Xiu Im Chi, Ruja Ignatova, and Melissa Kadik who seem to have the same M.O., money, fake identity or fake status, and lies, lies, lies. Well, just like the female con artists in part one, this next set of women also seem to spell lifestyle with lies. Number six, Carrie Farrell. Young, beautiful, and charming, Carrie Farrell seemed to be a girl who could do anything. She could and did. Unfortunately, it wasn't always for the good. Branded as the hipster grifter in an article by Dory Schaffer for the New York Observer, Carrie was first seen or heard in the media back in 2009 when she was just a fresh-faced 22-year-old girl. Carrie, who had a Korean heritage, dared to enter the media world when she applied for an administrative position at Vice magazine. Carrie seemed to take a page out of psychological thrillers when she faked her resume and career background. According to the New York Observer article, Carrie allegedly claimed that she worked in a concert promotion company that was behind major rock festivals. With that experience, plus her bubbly personality and presence, she had striking tattoos including a large phoenix across her chest. She easily landed the job. She was honest about one thing. She did come from Utah before moving to New York. However, she left out one particularly important detail. The reason why she moved. Apparently, she was in Utah's most wanted list for bad checks, forgery, and retail theft worth thousands of dollars. In New York, while Carrie seemed to continue fleecing guys for some money, using her aggressive sexuality, her scheme was also skewed more towards painting herself as a victim to get attention and cash. According to her victims, she told elaborate stories that ranged from a fake pregnancy to abusive adoptive parents to a crazy ex. But perhaps what was most striking was that she made people believe she had lung cancer. One time, she even told a guy she was seeing that she coughed up blood and went to the hospital for it. But even when the doctor said she didn't have cancer, Carrie stuck to her story. In May 2009, she was finally arrested but was released just seven months later in December. There's not much media update about her since then, but according to Pedestrian, Carrie seemed to have found her way back to the media world in 2010 when she was appointed as the official American correspondent for an Australian publication called Spook Magazine. Let's just hope she can keep her story straight this time. Australia certainly does not need someone who tells outlandish stories including fake cancer. It already had one woman who did just that, and she is. Number 7. 
Belle Gibson. After Elizabeth Holmes, Belle seemed to be the next person whose story fascinated me the most. I first came across her story on 60 Minutes Australia. This show is so good, I tell you. And I watched and rewatched her episode, but still cannot wrap my brain around how outrageous her lie was. You see, just like Carrie, Belle is this young and sweet-faced woman who seemed to have run into a series of unfortunate events. The biggest one being a heartbreaking battle with terminal brain cancer. She was told that she only had four months to live. She captivated Australia with her sob story and inspired many others who were going through the same thing. On the surface, Belle seemed to serve as a beacon of hope among those who were suffering from cancer and other serious illnesses. She did not let her disease bring her down and instead became an influential blogger and social media personality. She even launched a mobile app and a cookbook espousing alternative medicine and natural diet to cure cancer. Needless to say, she earned loads of money from all of these. In addition, she was able to raise around $300,000, which she said she donated to cancer charities, but, surprise surprise, did not reach them at all. Belle's story did seem to be an inspiring success story, except Belle did not have brain cancer. She seemed to be sick in the mind. At the beginning of the interview on 60 Minutes Australia, correspondent Tara Brown point-blank asked Belle, Are you prepared to tell the truth? To which Belle enthusiastically answered, Yes. But to Tara's frustration, and most probably Belle's victims and the ones who are watching, the lies did not stop at all. Instead of admitting that she feigned a terminal disease, Belle claimed that she was misdiagnosed by a man who we're not even sure exists. According to Belle, she believed that she had brain cancer because that's what she's told. However, while she stated in her book that she learned about her cancer from a doctor in the hospital, Belle later on admitted that she was diagnosed by the man in her own home using an odd contraption. It appeared that her entire journey from painful chemotherapy and treatments even the discovery of other cancers in different parts of her body were all one great dangerous lie. In the interview, it was pointed out that in addition to hurting people like those who actually have cancer, Belle may have put their lives in danger. Because instead of seeking out medical help, they may have relied on alternative met- methods only because Belle said it worked for her. The show outrightly called her a fraud because they found out that contrary to her claims that she didn't know that she had cancer, she apparently did. Her medical records indicated that she knew she was healthy way before she released her cookbook along with her sob story. To demonstrate further how Belle seems to have a problem with telling the truth, she couldn't even answer Tara's simple question about her age. Yes, we know a number of women who lie about their age to appear younger, but it's quite the opposite for Belle. While she claimed to be 26, her birth record shows she's 23. In the interview, Belle denied suffering from Munchausen syndrome, a condition wherein someone falsifies, induces, or exaggerates an illness to gain sympathy and attention. As if misrepresenting your own health is bad enough. It is worse if you do that to your own child. 
If you think Carrie and Belle's fake cancer stories are terrible, wait until you hear about number eight, Claudine Blanchard. In doing my research about female con artists, I didn't encounter Claudine Blanchard, or more popularly known as Didi, in any article about scammers. Perhaps it's because she did not fit into their mold, uh, if you could call it that. But I strongly believe that her actions can be considered one of the biggest, most horrific form of deception at all. One that was done at the expense of her child's health, well-being, and freedom, and one that ultimately caused Didi's death. In the HBO documentary, Mommy, Dead, and Dearest, it recounted how Didi's only daughter, Gypsy Rose, killed her after years of psychological and physical abuse. It explored how Didi exhibited signs of Munchausen syndrome by proxy, a term referred to caregivers such as parents who deliberately make up or cause an illness or injury to those under his or her care. In the case of Didi, she made everyone, including Gypsy Rose, believe that the child suffered from chronic conditions like leukemia, asthma, and muscular dystrophy and the mental capacity of a 7-year-old. You have to watch the documentary to discover more extensively the horrors of Gypsy Rose sufferings at the hands of her own mother for 24 years. But imagine this, she spent almost a quarter of her life in a wheelchair even though she could walk. She had a feeding tube inserted into her own body even without needing one, and she underwent a host of painful but unnecessary surgeries and treatments. Some experts said that those who have Munchausen syndrome by proxy harm those under their care for emotional gratification. But in Didi's case, she also gained a lot more. Along with the attention and fame, Didi benefited from monetary and in-kind donations, free trips, and even a free house from those who truly felt sorry for the two of them. After so many years of suffering, Gypsy Rose finally reached her breaking point and enlisted her then-boyfriend, Nicholas Godejohn, to kill Didi at her own house in June 2015. A year later, in July 2016, Gypsy Rose was sentenced to, to 10 years in prison after pleading guilty for second-degree murder. Nicholas, who actually killed Didi, was sentenced to life in prison for first-degree murder. Didi and Gypsy's stories was so twisted and dark, and what's worse is that it happened for real, and it was not a product of someone's creative imagination. Speaking of creative imagination, our next female con artist appears to have won and decided to profit from it, but in a bad way. I'm talking about number nine, Patricia Wooten. I hope I pronounced that correctly. While Belle authored a cookbook to promote alternative medicine and sell her sob story, 55-year-old British woman Patricia Wooten used her writing skills to pen what was considered a fraudster's handbook that was filled with heartbreaking tales not of her own, but for other con artists. According to the Evening Standard, detectives found that Patricia wrote hundreds of letters for other female con artists in dating websites to trick lonely men to fork out cash. 
Using Patricia's scripts, scammers pretended to be stuck in a financial rut and appealed to the victim's generosity and kindness, and ultimately to their wallets. The Evening Standard reported that one of the scripts was about a woman whose husband supposedly died from the 9-11 terror attacks in New York. There was also a story about a woman who cannot afford to pay her own rent and was facing being evicted from her, from her home. The news article also cited a man from Switzerland who gave one of the scammers a total of 70,000 euros after being told that she needs money to get funds from her father's estate. After raiding Patricia's home, detectives found what they dubbed as Aladdin's cave of fraudsters' scripts and false IDs. It was not indicated exactly how much Patricia gained from being the scammer's ghostwriter, but according to the Evening Standard, Patricia had more than 16,000 euros in her possession when she was arrested. That's almost a million in Philippine pesos, ladies and gents. Authorities finally got their hands on Patricia and she was jailed in 2016 for two years. According to the Evening Standard, she denied writing these scripts, forcing investigators to analyze her handwriting. Patricia's writing definitely touched the hearts of some men who fall for the stories that she made up. Well, in a way, our last case for this episode shares some similar elements. A creative mind, writing skills, and a sob story. But instead of money, what this woman gained is one of the most coveted awards in the U.S. This is the case of number 10, Janet Cook. Unlike the other woman in this list, Janet does not at all appear to fit the profile of a con artist. She did not scam anyone for money or created fake identities. However, she did fool the world, specifically the media world, when she wrote a deceptive story about a person who did not exist at all. In 1981, Janet was awarded the highly coveted Pulitzer Prize for an article she wrote for the Washington Post, titled Jimmy's World. The article, which was published in September 1980, told the story of an 8-year-old heroin addict whom she referred to, the, to in the story as Jimmy. In the article, Janet vividly described the life of the child who was subject to the dark world of drugs, no thanks to his guardians. Using her writing prowess, Janet transported the readers into Jimmy's world, that one could almost see the needle marks on the baby-smooth skin of the child's arms. Janet's story managed to elicit a strong reaction among the community, who was expectedly concerned about Jimmy's welfare. Her story triggered an all-out police search for Jimmy to rescue him from such a dire situation, but their efforts were all in vain. Jimmy was nowhere to be found. This led to suspicions that Jimmy did not exist at all. Meanwhile, within the post's office, there were some who doubted the truth about Janet's story. But despite questions, the publication submitted her article to the Pulitzer Prize and managed to win the feature writing category in April 1981. However, Janet was not able to save her victory for long. According to Mike Sager's article for the Columbia Journalism Review, editors of the Toledo Blade, where Janet used to work, read biographical sketches of the Pulitzer winners. These sketches were based on the resumes that were submitted along with the entries. 
the Toledo Blades editor spotted some discrepancies in Janet's academic background and from there on triggered an internal investigation in the post. According to the CGR article, after 11 hours of interrogation, Janet finally confessed that Jimmy's touching story was just a fabrication. There was no Jimmy at all. The Post then returned the Pulitzer and Janet resigned from the paper after admitting that her story was a serious misrepresentation. Mike Sager, who, by the way, was Janet's boyfriend for a brief time, said Janet's transgressions rocked the foundations of trust that the press had built. She became the first in line in a line of publicly exposed fabulists, including Stephen Glass of the Dune Republic. He's another interesting case that was turned into a movie starring Hayden Christensen. See, why didn't Janet get her own film? But anyway, I believe that inside all of us lurks the fabulist, the one who prods us to tell tall tales or lies, who persuades us to blur the lines of a truth and a lie, who pushes us to pass fiction as fact. But why do we lie? Maybe because sometimes, Real-life scenarios are often unexciting and lackluster, so we twitch one element here and there to make our stories worthy of the people's time. To elicit the particular type of reaction we are seeking, we deliberately cook up, no pun intended, Janet, narratives that are seasoned with grandeur and peculiarity, originating from an otherwise bland but real-life anecdotes. For laughs, we add a spoonful of slapstick humor. For tears of empathy, we put a hint of soap opera drama. And for fear, we throw in a dash of Alfred Hitchcock. Fortunately, perhaps after years of dealing with different kinds of people who come up with the most outrageous stories, including <coughs> boys, <coughs> I seem to have developed a bullshit detector that can spot a fib even from a mile away. And while I admit that I am not faultless at all, I did tell some fables here and there, I know where to draw the line, especially because I know lies have serious consequences. The 10 women in our list, while worlds apart, share a lot of things in common beyond their creative yet fabricated narratives. The most glaring, perhaps, is that their web of lies have become so complicated that they got themselves caught in them fooling into believing that they were true. This episode tells us the moral of their stories, that no matter how hard we bury the truth in several layers of embellishments, it will always resurface in its barest form. So before we end this episode, I'm going to give the 10-word takeaway for this countdown. Everyone should have a bullshit detector that knows no gender. I hope you like this two-part episode and I hope you stay tuned for the succeeding countdowns. Till the next one, bye!